0: Hang on there one second. Let's go ahead and take a minute to pay the bills. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had so many questions. How do I record an episode? Where do I find background music? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other places that you like to listen to podcasts? Where do I find advertisers? The answer to every single one of those questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing, and monetizing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100 free and 100 ridiculously easy to use. So if you're always wanted to start a podcast, go to Anchor.fm/start. That's Anchor.fm/start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's Anchor.fm/start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. The following podcast. Has not been rated. You're listening to Fullbacks Are People, too. The Fact, and here's your host, CJ Newman. Listening to fullbacks are people too. The fact. What a week we just had coming off of last weekend's nfc and AFC championship games a lot of controversial calls but we do have winners and they're both the number two seeds the new england patriots are going to face the la rams for the nfl's biggest title the super bowl championship in one week this weekend is a pro bowl and uh uh i don't give a shit. so i would much rather talk about what's going on today in the nfl and going on today on the Fapt. So today I have coming on the show, uh, chef Chad Wells is coming back as a guest co-host this week because we have a special guest. Um, by the way, thank you very much last week to, uh, PFTP and posse to, uh, the real Forno and to a underscore for coming on the show Really appreciate that. We got really good numbers out of that, and I I really appreciate you guys coming on board. Thank you guys very much out there for listening to the show last week. Got a lot of great feedback, and I really appreciate that. But this week with Chef Chad, we're going to be interviewing uh, our first player, believe it or not. Uh, Former player, uh, former defensive back in the NFL. He played for the Oakland Raiders, Tennessee Titans, Baltimore Ravens the San Diego Chargers, and the New Orleans Saints. His name is Chris Carr, former cornerback, uh, former defensive back. So uh, this one's a pretty lengthy one. I'm not going to try to sit here and bullshit you for any more time. I'm going to go ahead and try to present this to you. So without further ado, please, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy Chef Chad Wells and I interviewing Chris Carr. And welcome back to the FAP, ladies and gentlemen. This is a a pretty special week this week. I know I swore in the beginning that I would never have a uh, NFL player on my show, but uh, this week I've actually got a chance to get one on, so I I couldn't really say no. But before I get to them, uh, this week I've got, uh, coming back to the show, I've got Chef Chad coming back. Chef Chad, how the hell are you?
1: Good, man. Good to be back. I hope everything is going well. It's fucking freezing, but, uh, you know, still keep rolling.
0: It was like 50 degrees the other day, and now it's 28, and Mother Nature's a woman, I'm telling you.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So pretty uh, much.
0: this week is actually, as I said, pretty special. I've got a former cornerback for the NFL. Uh, Chris Carr is going to be joining us on the line here. Uh, Chris, how the hell are you?
2: Doing well, I'm doing well. In D.C., not far from you guys, so I know it. the weather's been bad, and it's been good, and off and on, but can't complain. It's not Minnesota, it's not Chicago.
0: That's the truth. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, I, yeah. I got to ask you, man, let's let's start back from the beginning here. If we're going to uh, really go back as as far as we can, just so we can cover a lot of your career and we can cover what's going on post-career and whatnot, too. Um, you graduated from Robert McQueen, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And you decided to go to Boise State. Were there any yes. other colleges or universities in the running for you?
2: Yes. Um, University of Nevada, Reno. Um, they were they were on me hard they were not be hard but they were terrible back then um, and I always wanted to be out of state uh, when they to leave for college because I knew that I could always come back and live in Reno forever um, and Washington State and Hawaii were the other teams but all, all three of those um, other colleges wanted me to play receiver because I played running back in high school I didn't play too much defense but I knew at my size I was only about 160 in high school I knew that offense probably wasn't gonna be uh, my best position in college. And I just felt with my quickness and um, my skills, I felt like, hey, I can learn how to be a cornerback and do well doing that. Um, So Boise State wanted me to play cornerback or slash safety. I knew that eventually I could do some return work too as well at Boise State. And they were good at the time too, so the choice really wasn't that difficult.
0: Well, that's very good. So academics seem to be a big priority for you in your past and in your current uh, life. So did Boise have anything to do with – as far as your choices, did you have – academically, did you want to choose Boise as well or – because I I noticed that you stayed all four years at – at Boise, you got the Pat Fuller Memorial Award for academics. So you lettered all four years. Did you want to make sure that you were uh, good to go as far as academically before you went to the NFL? If the NFL didn't work out,
2: yeah, I think. Um, well, I stayed all four years because I had to at least stay for four years there. Because at the time, Boise State players were leaving early. Um, But the past 10 years, you've had a lot of um, NFL players uh, from Boise State who have left after their junior seasons. Um, But I think me um, going into college that my main mindset was just football, football. And I didn't really, I did well in high school just because I felt like um, um, I was smart. I didn't try to take the hardest classes. Um, and I had some type of pride in my mom. I knew I couldn't have come home and with bad grades because my mom would have, she would have killed me. Um, but in college, my big thing was I, whenever I see everybody else doing something, it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable when everybody else is acting like clones. It makes me uncomfortable. So I saw a lot of football players and the athletes not going to class. Um, not caring about things, um, being lazy in class, sleeping in class. And that just always made me uncomfortable. So I think um, at the time, you know, when you're 19, 20 years old, you're starting to grow up and starting to realize things. And I started realizing that I was interested in more things than just football. And I looked at what everybody was doing and I kind of figured like, hey, this is probably not what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, So that kind of kicked me in the butt and enforced, like, hey, I need to actually pay attention to my studies because you're going to be an adult here pretty soon, and you can't play football forever. And at that time, I didn't know I was going to play in the NFL. Um, It was one of those things, like, hey, if I can make it, maybe play a year or two, that'd be great, Um, and if I can stay healthy, too. Um, So my mindset, especially after my first semester in college, was really, hey, you're here to be the best football player you can be, but you're going to be on the street here pretty soon, and so you better do well in school. Um, so yeah, that was my mindset.
1: So qu- question, real quick about about leaving college and heading to the NFL. Um, when you you went undrafted, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Did that piss you off?
2: Um, no, I, I think at the time I kind of. I felt that I was good enough and that I, um, but I was kind of unsure. And I always kind of had um, that same mindset from high school to college. When I was in high school, I grew up in Nevada and I was so much better than everybody. But at the same time, I was like, I grew up in Nevada. I didn't, I wasn't in Texas, I wasn't in Florida and California, where all the major superstars I always come from. So in my back of my mind, I'm like, well, maybe I'm just, I'm, I might be good in Nevada, but maybe I'm not that good because I've played against people from Texas and at Boise State. We played in the Big West Conference and the WAC Conference and we weren't playing the SEC schools or the Big Ten schools. And so I was like, well, I think I'm really good, but I didn't play in the SEC. Um it wasn't until I got to the first day of training camp or the little mini camp actually before I graduated in April um, after I signed and I thought I was better than every other rookie that was there. Um, and that gave me the confidence to say like, no, okay, you just were overlooked. Do you really are um, the best rookie that they have?
1: It is, and that that, that, that point, seems to happen a lot. What'd you say? I said that seems to happen a lot, especially in the NFL these days. It seems like right now we're seeing a lot of people explode that are either undrafted or late round picks that end up having incredible careers. So when which? How many teams contacted you when you when you first went um, when you were uh, an undrafted free agent?
2: Yes, yeah, so on draft day, it was the Giants and the Falcons and the Raiders, and they kind of contacted my um, my agent like in the fifth, sixth rounds, and saying that they might select me, but they're not sure. Um, but they're definitely were going to offer me um, a free agent contract um and so when it came down to after the draft that wasn't selected all three teams called and they made an offer um but we looked at the rosters and the Raiders just released Philip Buchanan even though they just drafted a guy in the first round and second round Fabian Washington corner played with me in Baltimore and Stanford round another corner in the second round they didn't have a returner at the time because Philip Buchanan left Um, So I felt that I could really come in there and compete on special teams and make the team on special teams. Um, Whereas in, I think in New York and Atlanta, they had established return specialists. And I thought I probably wasn't going to get a shot to show what I can do at cornerback. So the Raiders really looked like my best option on paper.
0: Now remind us, who was your first head coach when it came to the Oakland Raiders?
2: North Turner.
0: How do you feel about him? How do you feel about him as an overall head coach?
2: Yeah, as an overall head coach, um, I actually had him twice. In 2012, I went to San Diego. Um, and so Then in 05, I had him in Oakland. He's um, He has a very good football mind. Um, when I was there in Oakland, I think he was too relaxed. Um, he let a lot of players get away with murder. Um, but to be fair, to him al davis really runs that organization well he ran that organization um, so a lot of players knew that they can get away with murder because al davis was never going to cut them um, so i think there might have been a little bit of you know i can say something to these players or suspend them or do this and that but al davis isn't gonna like it so i'm just not even gonna worry about that um, because by the time i had him in san diego i could tell that he changed a lot Um, He was more into um, disciplining um, players. Um, He wasn't as relaxed as he was prior. Um, So I'd say he's a good head coach. Um, He gave me a shot, so I don't want to say anything bad about him. There's really nothing bad I can say about him. I mean, obviously, um, he hasn't had as much success as like a Harbaugh, for example. Um, but yeah, I think, I think he was a solid, uh, football coach and he's definitely proven to be a solid offensive
0: coordinator. Now tell me more, a little bit about, uh, North Turner. He was obviously, he grew up in the offensive side of the football. How much time did he actually dedicate to the defensive side of the football and how much, uh, in depth did he get to it? Or did he let his defensive coordinator basically run the show?
2: He let his D coordinator run the show. And I think that's the pattern of most NFL coaches, um, if they come from a defensive background, they usually are more concerned with the defense and vice versa. Um, I think there's, I heard Belichick is heavily involved in both aspects, um, but a coach like him is rare. Um,
1: Asterix. Yeah,
2: yeah. Asterix. And, uh, ha- yeah, Harbor, he's a special teams background. Um, so he was kind of more just management, uh, making sure that people are doing what they're doing, uh, what, what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and he, it's, it's weird looking at Harvard because he's really like what you expect, like a head coach, like, Hey, you're going to let your other coaches coach. And I'm just here to make sure that, Hey, if I need to go in there and see if there's any friction or we need to change some things. Um, I think he's had a lot of success at that. Um, but I do think he's, you are kind of at a disadvantage sometimes when you don't have that knowledge set. Um, defensively or offensively to really put that input in that needs to be done in certain occasions.
0: Now, let's not skip ahead of ourselves here. We'll talk more Baltimore in just a second, but did you know that you're actually the all-time leader in kickoff returnage yardage for the Raiders at 4,841 yards on 201 attempts?
2: No, I didn't know that. You could have asked to get on that, too. Davis probably, he cuts a lot of players, so a lot of people don't stay in Oakland
1: very long, so I think that's
2: probably the reason why.
1: So, Here's a question about the Raiders. So when when you yeah. were there, I'm sure you saw Al Davis a lot, uh, just roaming around or doing what he did. Did yeah. you ever see Mark Davis at the time? Because I have an interesting question about him. Yeah. did he have the same stupid fucking haircut that he has now? What, Al Davis? No, yes, Mark, them Davis. Davis. It's Mark,
0: Mark Davis. Mark Davis, the nasty I don't
2: remember seeing Mark Davis. Really? I do remember. Him, yeah, I just remember seeing Al Davis every day. Would come out to every practice on his walker, and he'd be waiting on the plane after every game. Um And we usually lost every game too. And he'd just yell at everybody that if you if you had the quarterback had too many interceptions, Kirk Collins is going to get screamed at. Um Was it incoherent screaming? Somebody else. There um well kind of he was really old at that point so he's not screaming like bobby knight in 1988 but he is you know he's he was still intimidating he was the owner um so yeah every day he came out to every practice i just remember him in his jumpsuits his you know his raider suits that he used to wear every day um yeah his 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 brother i don't remember him at
0: all. I was also told that he had a, uh, at least by Howie Long. I was told that he has a uh, distinctive cologne. Did he? Did you smell his cologne whenever he came on the field? No, I never
2: got. <laughs> I never got too close to Al Davis to really. That's
1: know. a. That's not cologne. It's old man musk because I do believe he lived to be like one sixty two, one sixty three, yeah. if I'm
2: correct.
0: Something like that.
2: Yeah, I think I think he was older than what his
1: birth certificate said.
0: Yeah, <laughs> by a. Li- at least seventy years, I mean, the guy goes back to the a f l days the originally yes. he was a commissioner <laughs> for the a f l so it's it's amazing yeah. how far he goes back in his lineage and how long he lasted and he didn't have a coronary anyway between that. I was just very surprised overall, but um. Yeah. You had a pretty decent career in uh, in Oakland. You had, uh, like I said, you were the leading uh, kickoff return yardage uh, specialist. Um, you had a cup of coffee in Tennessee. Uh, was uh, Jeff Fisher your guy there? Was that your head coach?
2: Yeah, he was there, yeah. Uh-huh. How was
0: he as a head coach?
2: I thought he was a great head coach. Um, just one year, it's really hard to analyze somebody just based on one year, but... That team was Uh, good,
1: man. That team was good.
2: Yeah, we had a really, really good team that year. He was smart. He um, and we lost to Baltimore that year, but I don't think it was from we let up, or or he was too loose with us, or we got overconfident. I just think it was one of those things. Sometimes you get in the playoffs, and and if somebody gets in there, they're really playing. um, They don't have that many that much expectations. Um, they really had nothing loose, and they're playing more freely, and not as much pressure on them. Um, and Baltimore got hot at the end of the season. And- yeah, Matt, Matt okay. Stover won
1: that game, if I recall.
2: <sighs> yeah, he did win that game. Um, but, yeah, I thought Jeff Fisher was a good coach. Um, I, th- I thought he was pretty knowledgeable about both sides of the ball. Um, he made some decisions I think that were best for the team at that point. Um, There's a little incident with um, who's the Vince Young. Vince Young, like, kind of went crazy after one game and, like, nobody could find him. And his mom was calling him, and the Titans were calling him. Nobody could find him. Um, And Curry Collins ended up starting for the rest of the season. And it was kind of controversial at the time, but it was really the best decision for the team. Uh, I remember we weren't in pads for the first 10 weeks of the season. Um, every day we're just out there with shorts and helmets because um, I think he realized that you guys are physical and you guys have that mentality and he he had enough experience to know that hey, I can take care of these guys but on game days they're really going to show up and they're going to be physical and they're going to do what they have to do and not every coach is going to have that experience and that mindset to be able to make that decision
0: and this is before he started his 7-9 and nine bullshit out in St. Louis, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that,
2: that must feel bad for him because as soon as he leaves, the Rams just take off and they're like the best team in yeah so. Right. Yeah. He's
1: had, he had, a, he had like kind of a carousel of quarterbacks that sucked ass under him. And then all of a sudden, they leave Jeff Fisher and they're beasts. And then he leaves Goff. And Goff is playing in the Super Bowl next week.
2: Yeah. It's crazy. Did he have Goff uh, only his rookie year? Yes. Yes. For two years.
0: He had Goff and Case Keenum both at the same time. Uh, So um, backing up just a a tad bit on this, um, you were a restricted free agent uh, going into the Tennessee Titans. Uh, You were offered a deal by the Titans, but the Raiders declined to match that. I was just curious how you felt about that. Did you feel betrayed by the Raiders at that point? Or did you just feel like it was business? what did you feel?
2: No, I was happy. I think in Oakland, we went five and 11, um, two and 14 and five and 11 or four and 12. I mean, it was just dismal. And Al Davis, I wasn't an Al Davis guy. So the only reason why I played because I had Rob Ryan and Chuck Pagano going to bat for me. Um, And so I really wanted an opportunity to leave. And I thought I did have a good opportunity because being an unrestricted um, free agent, if a team, a lot of restricted free agents at the time, um, I'm not sure what it is now, but a team would have to give up a draft pick uh, based on what round you were drafted. So if I was drafted in the third round, um, the Titans would have had to give given the Raiders a third round pick if they wanted to sign me. And usually a team doesn't want to sign you for a bunch of money and give another team a draft pick. Um, but in my case, I was undrafted, so I knew that Tennessee could sign me and not have to give Oakland a draft pick. So I thought that was advantageous for me. Uh, but yeah, I was just really once I signed the tender sheet with Tennessee, I was just hoping please don't sign, please don't match, please don't, don't match. <laughs> but I knew, I, but I knew that um, Al Davis he would have brought me back for cheap. But since I wasn't his guy and he never really wanted me playing for them, that I knew that was very unlikely that they were going to match Tennessee's offer. All
1: right, so let's let's get into some fun stuff too. Um, you got you got any uh, crazy locker room stories?
2: Oh man and um, should I chase some some Oakland Raider ones or,
1: or right uh, on, whatever ones. you think is best.
2: I, I, I feel bad I, I don't want to share any um, any Baltimore ones. Um, no, in Baltimore, I, I would say in Baltimore, when it comes to – I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Baltimore's had so much success. success. Um, and I'm sure for you guys, it should be more. Uh, but looking at other organizations, Baltimore has done quite well for itself for the past 15, 20 years. But really since um, – when did Baltimore become get a team? 96?
1: 96. 96.
2: 96 since 96 um but yeah in, in Baltimore we used to have the greatest times uh, we used to play cornhole a lot of times in the locker room uh, sometimes we'd shoot dice in the locker room <laughs> uh, we do that a lot um and always just ragging and making fun of each other um was fun um I remember um, one time, Lodarius Webb, uh, if he hears this, hopefully he, he forgives me. And him, him and this one guy in the practice squad, I forget the guy's name. He was on practice squad, and they were just going back and forth like, you're ugly, you're stupid, you suck. And they're just going back and forth. And you could tell Webb was getting really upset because, like, this guy's on practice squad. He's acting like he's he's a, a Hall of Famer, and this guy's really getting too comfortable then uh, so they're just going back and forth and web and in that type of environment the more upset you get the more it's like a shark smelling blood like they see it (laughs) keep egging and pushing and pushing and pushing then finally web is just getting all upset then i forget the guy's name he's like no no hold up hold up hold up no let's get serious i i really want to ask you a question when you sleep at night and he lays down on the cornhole and puts his face on the, uh, in the hole. He's like, "Do you have to sleep on a? On a <laughs> do you have to sleep with the cornhole? Um, um, what's it called? The the sheet or whatever? So your nose, because your nose is so big, do you have to sleep with your nose in the cornhole? Hole? And everybody's just lost. <laughs> and I felt so bad for him. I had to like turn around and like leave the room because like I knew Webb couldn't handle it. Um, That was one story. I mean, in Oakland, it was... Remember the movie Soul Plane? Yes. Every game after the game was like Soul Plane in Oakland. Really? Yeah, there was like people shooting dice in the halls, boombox, blasting in the back. You had guys watching porn on their DVD portable sets. (laughs) Guys yelling and screaming, rapping. It It was... and when we just lost the game fifty to seven, forty-nine to seven. <laughs> I mean it was the most unembarrassing, like craziest time every week. It was like soul play. I would be like this is like soul play. And then when I went to Tennessee, everybody's just sitting really straight in their seats. It's just quiet. Nobody's playing cards. Everybody was just quiet. I was like, man, this is like a completely different league. Like <laughs> this is a completely different <laughs> thing. Um, but yeah, um, it, it's hard to really pinpoint here stories here and there, but um, and plus, you know, some of the stuff is personal. I don't want to, you know, sometimes there's some bad moments. People did some bad things and <laughs> acted certain ways.
0: But hey, we're, we're not going to pry from you. Anything you're willing to share is just going to come to our Sapp. listeners.
2: It's Warren Sapp. Yeah. was it the nicest man? I'm say that in the locker room. Did you and say
0: Warren Sapp? Is that what you
2: Warren said? Sapp.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've heard plenty of stories about him and how he's yeah. his rookies and all sorts of shit. So uh, I could definitely see him being one of the guys that's been uh part of crazy locker room stories.
2: Yeah, he sucker punched an undrafted um center after uh training camp practice one time. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, to sucker punch him right in the jaw.
0: Yeah, I just called him a dumbass afterwards too and, <laughs> I
2: it's like unbelievable.
0: Probably convinced him it was his fault, too. I could see Warren Sapp doing that type of shit.
2: Yeah, because they were doing one-on-ones, and the guy was doing too much. But come on. It's like you're a rookie. You're undrafted. You, you don't have the luxury to like let up. You really have to go full tilt. Um, so I, he didn't like that. Um, don't do that to the great Warren Sapp. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. But Oakland, that stuff like that happened all the time. It was just... <laughs> like a WWE locker room just uh just, just Oakland that's Oakland Raiders
1: so let's me. get it let's get into the Baltimore Ravens a little bit you know that this is near and dear to CJ and I you were with the Ravens in 2009 2010 and 2011 yeah um I do want to say this and put me on record for saying this. I believe the 2011 Ravens was the best Ravens team that they ever put on the field in the history of the franchise, and I I do mean that. I think that team was amazing. That team should have been in a Super Bowl. Um, that that team was better than the team the following year that did win the Super Bowl. And I just want to be on record in saying that I think that that is the best, the most complete football team that
0: has ever been produced in Baltimore. Um, think about the so, talent on defense that was on that team. You had Chris there. You, you had uh, Ladarius. You had uh, Jared Johnson, Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis. Uh, Danella Ellerbe was just coming up in the ranks. I dude, mean, Ed Reed. Yeah, Ed Reed, of course. And uh, our, our favorite strong safety, Bernard Pollard. <laughs> The so, um, smashing machine, yeah, the uh, the Patriot Killer. So, um, tell us a little bit about the uh, when you first came in, two thousand nine. Um, you had a wild card game. I, I'm sure you might remember this. Uh, you happened to get an interception off of uh, the asterisk greatest of all time, Tom Brady. How did you feel after you, that uh, whistle came right by you and came into your hands?
2: Yeah, I felt good. I mean. I think every year that I, I played, I've always played well at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just one of those things that towards the end, people start getting f- mentally fatigued and you can really see the team's tendencies and patterns at that point. Um, so I was able to, be, to study the film for the Patriots, you know, a whole entire season. So going into the game and... As well coached as that team is, their offense at times were kind of predictable and I would know what was coming. Um, so I felt, com- I felt comfortable coming into that game because I think the previous couple of games I had some good games because um, I think towards the end of the season, um, I think Fabian or Webb towards ACL that I started. Um, and I started getting comfortable and I started playing well. And going into that game, I was really confident. Um, and we were confident. We weren't sure that we were going to just come blowing out, out the water, but we did. Um, but yeah, it was a good game. Uh, that was one of the coldest games I ever played in, too. That's I'll never so. That game. So but, was
1: the was when you caught that ball, that interception. Was it easier to catch from being so deflated? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was.
2: It was really soft. It was like <laughs> marshmallow. <laughs> so the, so. Uh, years later, when it was the play gate, I was like, oh, that makes sense. The ball was really soft then. <laughs> uh, yeah. did you soft. actually did soft, you just like Tom I forgot all about the, the plate gate I just forgot all about that because <laughs> my mind also my, the biggest thing to me was the um, the whole tape in the practice
1: Spygate
0: yeah because <laughs>
2: that like nobody like at the time nobody really cared and it's, that it's is, like, think about it, like that is like cheating like at the, the worst level
0: <laughs> I agree yeah
1: wasn't <laughs> and, it the, the rams walk through the one that they that started all the accusations originally the rams in the super bowl is that correct
2: yeah it's something like that and whenever there's like a, a controversy like you hear like bill cosby rape like five people or r kelly rape right, three girls you know it's like a hundred yeah, oh yeah it's worse it's always worse than what you think so you when they filmed the rams you know that wasn't the first time they did that oh hell no no right no there's, there's that was like, you know, we've never done this before. We're never gonna do it again. I'm sh- I I would bet a lot of money that they before that time, they recorded other people. Um and so it was just always I've always just looked at that incident and how that was kind of like a slap on the wrist. Then when the Saints had their whole like bounty gate thing, and I thought that was completely not the whole thing was nonsense to me.
0: That was and, a makeup call, to be honest with you. From the just,
2: yeah, I didn't think the Saints did anything wrong, and I'll defend that to my death.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I, I have a slightly difference of opinion, but that's just because my, my favorite quarterback of all time is Brett Favre, yeah. and I, I think I, – I don't know if the whole – um the whole bounty gate shit was really playing a role in it. But I I think that the aim of that game was to try to remove Brett Favre from it. And it really, really, really looked that way. And it took what – for the Saints to win that game, it took, what, six Brett Favre turnovers for them to eventually win in overtime. I mean, they were taking dirty shots at his knees. You know, I mean – I'm all for seeing seeing hard hits and fun football and seeing uh, people mash each other. But at the end of the day, I really feel like Brett Favre was getting fucked pretty hard in that game.
2: I didn't. Did they call any um, unnecessary roughness
1: calls? If if I recall, because I was I was pretty irritated when I was watching it. But if I recall, I think that a lot of shots went unflagged and then a lot of fines went out after the game. CJ, oh, okay. does that sound accurate to you?
0: It sounds about right. I actually just watched that game a couple of weeks ago, and I, I can't recall all the penalties because there was a lot that should have been called. There was a lot that didn't get called.
2: Yeah, but, watch, um, it, watch it watch watch it, it again because my thing was, okay, up to that point, you can watch a lot of games, right, where you're just like, oh, they should have called that unnecessary roughness on Flacco. Did you see it? The guy hit him late and then, and there was a lot of games like that but i remember a sports center this whole bounty gate and they would show all these saints highlights i don't remember seeing one highlight i was like oh my god he was trying to hurt him i didn't see i mean there's one thing it's like oh he's walking on the sideline and five seconds after play he like hits him in the bat he hits him in the knee with the baseball bat like nancy kerrigan like i didn't see any of that so my thing is with it was just like a motivator. If you have two boxers, this is my analogy I like to use. You have two trainers. One trainer saying, Hey, I want you to kill this guy. I want you to break his ribs. If you break his ribs, you don't have to pay me as much money. Okay. And I want you to, I want you to knock him out and hopefully he he's dead. And if he's killed, and if you kill this man in the ring, you're never gonna have to pay me again. And you have another trainer with the other boxer that's saying, Hey, I want you to go to the body. I want you to work his head. I want you to use the jab. You might get the knockout, but not. But if you can, you can go ahead and get it. Okay, but go out there and play smart and box smart. Once they get in the ring, both guys, for all intents and purposes, are trying to knock each other out. They're trying to destroy and kill each other. And as a defensive player, and you go out there and you have a shot to hit Tom Brady or Joe Flacco or whoever it is as hard as you can and knock them out the game. That's what you do. You, it, 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 that's part of the game. To me, as long as somebody's not doing something that's obviously, okay, I know this is illegal. This is after the play, but I'm going to try to knock him out the game. And to me, when it comes to the incentives with the with the play, it's like, well, this coach is going to give me $1,000, but I'm going to have to pay this $50,000 fine and get this penalty. Like, I'm not going to take that. Um, so I, full disclosure... You know, I played on teams. I'm not going to say who. None of it was Baltimore. Just to exclude Baltimore, <laughs> where it was like, "Hey, we're trying to get this guy out because this backup he can't play. We know he can't play." And it was never or like, "Hey, you get a pick, it's a thousand dollars. If you get knock this guy out, it's a thousand dollars." And it was never like, "Oh, well, we're going to go outside the rules to do this." It was like, oh, okay, they're just doing this. as a fun thing. But on the field, we're just worrying about what we have to do to win. And if somebody happened to get an interception or happened to knock somebody out the game, then somebody got paid. Um but yeah, so I, I I do understand what you're saying, Chad. I would like to see that um that Vikings game again. You but should I, you
1: should watch it because like what you said, and I I agree completely with you Lee, with what you said. Where you're going, you're trying to mash somebody, but you're staying within the rules to do it. If you get them out of the game, it's a big plus. I feel like they didn't care whether they were inside the rules or not when it came to Brett Favre in that game, especially later in the game. Um, and, and the thing is, that's interesting to me is because I always say that Brett Favre, I think is like the biggest warrior quarterback I've ever seen. And Brett Favre in that game, he was taken out of the game briefly and, um, And I I think that he knew that the goal was to get him the fuck out. And he came back in that game later and the dude was hobbled and they were still consistently the low, the low hits, the late hits. And there was there was a, 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 a insane number of penalties being thrown about it, but they did not stop. And to me, you know, when it comes down to the whole bounty gate thing you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure all kinds of things happen. And that's not really what my biggest deal is, is like when I, when I see something like that as a fan watching that, you're also taking the experience away from the fans too, when they're trying to go stay outside of the rules to make sure you win a game in a dirty way. And that's, that's just my, my personal opinion of it. But speaking of Greg Williams, me and CJ have had this, this constant conversation because as you know, he's been in the Ravens division for the past year, working with the Browns. This is a very, very serious question. We really would like to know an answer for this. Who the fuck is Freddy Kitchens?
0: Seriously.
2: I have no clue. Not- oh, hey. we are not alone. We Thank are you not can. alone. <laughs> I've never heard that name.
0: Even a former he's, player doesn't know who the hell Freddie Kitchens is. He sounds like is. a
2: musical artist or something, or like some artist. Like <laughs> He
0: is now the Cleveland Browns head coach. Prior to that, he was the interim offensive coordinator, and prior to that, he was a position coach for life. So he just came up out of nowhere, and I, some of the guest hosts that I've had on here in the past have, have gotten on me because I don't know who Freddie Kitchens is, and I'm like, I, I don't need to know because he's a nobody, and he's probably going to get fired along with the rest of the Cleveland crew in another year.
2: Yeah, yeah, no clue. It's a good name,
0: though. It is a pretty badass name. I mean, Freddie Goddamn Kitchens. That's what go by.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. so Chris, yeah. um, a little bit about a little bit more about the Saints here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we've seen a lot of changes in the NFL with the way that um, the way that the game flow has changed, the way that. The rules have, have changed. Do you think that at this point now that the players and the officials combined even have any clue how to play the game when it comes to these new rules, especially the ones that they put in place this year with how to hit?
2: Yeah, I just I think, yeah, it's too much. And I think I know. Well, I don't know as intimately as I knew before, but um from my experience, and from the people that I have talked to, my agent and his players, it's gone to the point. It's just too. Fu- it's just too much. I mean, I think people over the past couple of years, everybody's learned about CTE and concussions and making the game safer and kids and brain trauma, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all that stuff's important. But at bottom, it's like boxing or UFC. It's a dangerous sport. Period. That's that's what it is. The players we know as long as people know what they're getting into. Right. Um, And so, like, yeah, there are some things that you could do for player safety. But when you're saying like, hey, this DB needs to hit this running back a certain way or or I remember Ray Lewis sometimes would just get penalties because he hit somebody too hard.
1: Yeah,
2: we've we've seen it. He hits him in the great – I'm like, he just – I remember playing – I think it was the 2010 play They're playing the Colts, Peyton Manning. He, like, hit some receiver um, in the end zone too hard. Passing – I mean, unnecessary roughness. I'm like, he just hit him too hard.
0: Ask Chad Chocinco about some of those hits.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that's the point where you're at now. And I think that – and I think as a play, as a fan, like you, you kind of do lose out in a sense. And, I, and think, I, I think too, when we're talking about the Saints, Chad, to go back to that. We don't have to debate this. Well, I think part of it's because you're you're biased. Like Brett Far is your guy, and I'm sure Baltimore Ravens defense have been in games where they've hit the quarterback a lot well, like that. They're getting well, away with a lot of calls, and it's kind of like a DB some rest let you grab and do things. And if they're letting you do that throughout the game, they're going to continue to do so. But it's just when it's against like the other team, it's like, well, I don't really like this. Well, I think
1: I think with the new rules, it, yeah. it, it seems to me, I think that the argument at this point could be made that the new rules and the way they're calling them and the things that players are trying to do to conform to these rules are making them less safe. Do you think that that's a valid point?
2: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, valid point um i think that there's definitely some truth to that because your whole entire life and not even the whole entire life even if you just started playing football in high school you guys know this you guys probably played football before like when you're about to hit somebody and you're on the field and you're like thinking and like a play is going on you're not you're not you shouldn't be out there like oh okay hit him like this or you're just reacting Exactly. And, and it's it's hard enough being a defensive player as it is. And I, I, I do like some of the rules when it comes to the quarterback um, and maybe like some like chop blocking rules um, in the interior, but they have definitely gone too far. And I do think you probably are going to see more defensive backs injured um, because you're going to have people out there thinking about what they should be doing. Um, rather than just playing or reacting. Um, Yeah, and I just think it could be one of those unintended consequences. But I just think we just need to accept that this game is dangerous. And I think for the fans, um, if defensive players could go back to even way 10 years ago, I think the game would be a lot better off for it.
0: Now, Chris, let's go back and uh, talk about the Saints just for a little bit. Uh, do any of these penalties really matter? Any of these rules really matter if they're not going to throw the flag on some of them? I mean, did you see last weekend's game?
2: Um, I watched a little. <laughs> I saw the, um, the no call, the no yeah. call um, pass interference. Um, that was bad. Um, there were some defensive pass interference calls I saw last week that I didn't think were... Were obvious calls, uh, but I, I understand I am biased as a former cornerback. Um, but yeah, that that call against the Saints or that no call that was that was terrible.
1: Well, yeah. the the the, def- the defender has even even been out now in interviews saying like, "Yeah, I hit him. Yeah, I hit him with my helmet. Yeah, I hit with my." He doesn't give a shit now. I mean, it doesn't matter. But
0: he got fined for the helmet hit too. By the way,
1: yeah, twenty six thousand. I think I read yesterday. Yeah. So what's interesting, though, and this is something that I've not seen before, and maybe it's something that's happened, but we just don't know as much about it. And I don't know if you've if you've followed this at all. Did you see that they have actually filed a lawsuit against the NFL about the about the non-call? And yesterday, a uh, Democratic senator from Louisiana went on the floor of the Senate with a giant presentation about how the NFL is affecting our culture and about how this fucked up the economy in uh, Louisiana by taking a Super Bowl from the Saints. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's kind of I think it's pretty crazy. and In my opinion, I think it's nuts. I mean, it's a game at the end of the day. It does. It obviously has financial impact, but I've never seen it where people are trying to sue the NFL over a non-call.
2: Yeah, I think that congressman needs to quit grandstanding and sit his ass down. But, you know, that's what politicians do. You know, they want to go and show that they're for the people. Um, as far as the fans, yeah, I think it's hard to I mean, in, in the law, they always say like proximate cause, you know, if you're going to sue somebody, was it the proximate cause of their downfall? And um, it's really kind of tenuous when you sit there and say like, well, this led to us losing, what led us not going to the Super Bowl, what led us not, our economy going to shit because we're expecting to go to the Super Bowl. But it's kind of on its face as a frivolous argument because it's, from the beginning, you didn't plan on the year, like, oh, we're going to be in the Super Bowl. So it wasn't like they had all this investment into the Super Bowl in in April of last year because they knew they were going to Super Bowl, then this event at the end of the year just ruined their whole entire chances. So I think that on its face kind of, like, they had, once they made it to the playoffs, they had a hope they are going to Super Bowl. But it's really hard to say that, like, oh, we had this expectation that should be – Valid and should be supported as if this was something that was concrete and given to us by God, and you guys messed it up. Another thing about that call, too, is that you guys know 2012, best Ravens team you've ever seen, Chad. No, 2011, 2011. Yeah, but it was 2012 playoffs. Oh, yeah, they Yeah, yes. and at 2012 playoffs, Billy Cundiff misses a chip shot, you know?
0: What happened and to that football that day is my question.
2: After that play, after that... If they would have called passing interference, you never know what happens in the next play. There's yeah. no guarantee that the Saints would have made it to the Super Bowl. I mean, look at how the Patriots won against the Seahawks. The Seahawks, they're like at the one yard line, like, oh, this game's over. Interception at the one yard line, game over. Patriots win. And so, and so it's, it's hard to sit there and be like, well, we would have win the Super Bowl. So I think. No,
1: I, I, I agree with you. But I agree with you 100%. It's crazy.
2: It's crazy.
1: I think when it comes to all that stuff, I agree with you 100%. I've just never seen – I think that the way that that season ended for the Saints kind of speaks to the way the rules and officiating has went in the NFL with so many dramatic changes. I think that it's not – like back to our our previous point, I I think that it's not only leaving the players confused and upset and aggravated. I think it's doing the exact same thing to the fans from that side of the the coin. And I think that that kind of solidifies what happened a lot and what happens a lot in, in any sport is the refs, while the refs don't always control an outcome, I think in certain instances where it completely changed the dynamic of what was going on. But I've just never seen it come to a point where now people are actually trying to sue the NFL over it. And I think it just speaks volumes about how crazy it's getting when it comes to all of these rules and all of this officiating. Yeah. And But we may get something positive out of it because now the NFL is talking about being able to review pass interference calls, which I think is huge.
2: Yeah, I think I, I do think um, I was just about to ask you guys that too, cause The idea popped in my mind because to me, even as a defensive player, you know, it might be passive appearance. And if it's a terrible call, you're going to want your coach to be like, no, go for bad for you. Like, hey, I didn't touch him. Um, yeah. And I think it is like, hey, we can review this other stuff, but we can't review this play right here. Um, Especially when it comes down to the playoffs, because just so many plays are just so vital, it can just turn, uh, change the whole course of the game. Um, Yeah, I I would, um, I mean, there might be some unintended consequences um, for this action, but I... I'm for it. I think it would be good if you could review those type of calls.
0: Now, thinking about this, uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate to both of you here. There yeah. is meritus in what the lawsuit is trying to accomplish because there is a rule deep in the rule book that says the commissioner is able to overturn a decision and have the play in question replayed from the spot uh, in which the penalty should have happened, start the game from that point on, and move forward. But in I think, in all of our opinions, it's not going to happen. But what type of situation, if this is not the situation, would merit that rule to go into effect? What would be so damn egregious that would make it to the point of where the commissioner could invoke that rule and actually so it's do the that?
2: rule? And it, and it states that it's any any penalty, any penalty the commissioner has the authority.
1: No, it's not just penalties. It's it says that it's any that any situation where they feel that it's like impacted a result of a game, and I, I think what sparked the lawsuit in this thing from just from what I've read. Obviously, I, I don't. You're the legal scholar, not us. But when we look at when we well, from everything I've read about it, it basically says that why is this rule not being applied now that the NFL has came out and said yes, we fucked this up because they have. They've came out and said we fucked this up. The defender has said, we fucked this up. And I think that basically the lawsuit is trying to, it's, Clearly, it is not the actual intention of the lawsuit to be able to get them to to redo this play, because we all know that's never going to happen. But I think it's trying to get them to to qualify the existence of this rule if this rule cannot be applied and will not be applied under
0: any circumstance. Exactly. So what would it take in order to get for them to actually apply that rule? I mean, would they have to actually like dick slap somebody in the field and get a penalty on pass interference off of that? I mean, what would have to happen?
1: I, I don't know.
2: I think it's a yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I wasn't aware of the rule. Um, but yeah, that is um, that is that is a that is a good point, and I think, yeah, because if that's not passing your parents and nothing's passing your parents. I mean, it's clear as day.
1: so let's get let's get off the uh, the boring stuff and and ask you a couple quick questions because we know you got a lot to do today and you get on with your day. So there's a couple of quick questions that that a lot of fans would like to hear. Uh, fans of you, fans of the NFL in general. When you were a kick returner, you guys take some hard hits. Who hit you the hardest, and what went through your head right after it happened?
2: Uh, Sean Taylor hit me, the late Great oh. yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, we were playing, it was my rookie year, we were playing the Redskins. We actually won that game. We only won four games that year.
1: Well, it's the Redskins, uh, we're, I'm not surprised. Yeah, it was,
2: yeah, it was the Redskins, and... He just came out of nowhere like I saw was like the party in the Red Sea I'm like oh I'm gonna skip the score and all of a sudden he just clotheslined me and just I was like and it just it it shocked me like because I didn't see him um, and I mean it wasn't I didn't have concussion or anything but I was just really impressed I was like man this is a
1: big strong powerful dude right, who um, hit you yeah, the
0: softest guy. who gave you the least touch
1: The softest, the Tom Brady can't hit him. Come on, man. Good
0: point. The
2: the softest team and the worst team that I've seen in the NFL is the 08 Lions.
0: Oh, yeah. Aren't they the team that won 0 and 16?
2: Yeah, I think they didn't win a game. They were terrible. I think a college team could have been in that year.
0: That's sad. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, like the 01 Miami hurricanes. Like, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> like the best cost team ever. Would have <laughs> okay.
1: So talking about is it's same with that. Keep let's keep rolling on some of the Baltimore stuff because that's to us. You're a Raven. Hopefully you're a Raven to yourself. Okay. Uh, but all everybody in Baltimore w- would like to know the answer to this. Talk about the Raven Steelers rivalry for a second. Was it legit? Did you guys hate each other as much as the fans hate each other? Um, uh, What was that like to be a part of? Because I I feel that rivalry has gotten really soft at this point. But back then, I feel like that rivalry was intense.
2: Yeah. um, We didn't like them. They didn't like us. Uh, We didn't like their fans. um, Because you'd have their fans harassing like our family members and our wives and girlfriends. Um, And it was the only NFL team where it kind of felt like college and high school. Because everybody in college and high school, you have your rival. In the NFL, you might have a, a team that you play in your division, but it's the NFL. Um, you know, you might play on that team one day. You have friends around that team, and it's just kind of a different. Each week is like the most important week in the NFL. But with with Pittsburgh, it was different. The rivalry was real, um, and the animosity, especially on our on the defensive side of the ball, was there because you you could see on film like Hines Ward. You want to talk about Bounty Gate? He would go out there and he would try to hurt Ed Reed.
1: I mean, fuck that guy.
2: Ed Reed would would be outside the play, and um, he would go out there and try to hit him. I remember we played them in the 2011 playoffs, the 2010 season, and Ed Reed told us all like, "Hey, whatever the call is, stay back for the deep ball because I'm going out there. I'm going to fight." Edward um, Heinz's word on the first play, and he's like, "So if whatever the play is, if it's co- if it's cover one, I'm not going to give you help because I'm just going to take him out, and I'm going to go fight him." And the play ended up being a running play, and they ended up fighting, and we had to like pull them off each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, but you had stuff like that um, that you didn't respect, and the games were so physical and always so close. Um, and you did we did play them twice a year, so that was a real rivalry. And I remember in 2011, the season opener, um, when we played Pittsburgh. I was and we an just ass kicker.
0: Started. I remember that one.
2: Uh, um, <laughs> we did talk, discuss, and they did bring us all up. He's like, hey, we, had, we lost him the last year in the playoffs, and I don't care. You guys do whatever it takes. If you guys get enough to talk, we're not going to take any more shit from this team. Ever again, and some somebody's pushing you outside of the place. You push them back, and we went out there and we destroyed them. That was kind of like the college atmosphere. Um, so yeah, that was, and it was great playing in those games because you never, in any other moment, you never had that feel like back in college, back in high school, like this is our rival. And the games meant so much too because um, if you win a game in your division, it's like winning two games or losing two games. Um, so yeah, it was definitely
0: real right on. I think that uh that that rivalry is definitely one of the best in the NFL, even though Chad still thinks it's a little bit soft nowadays, it's still probably one of the best in the NFL, but um yeah, it personally, and Chad feels the same way here in Baltimore. I would whine and dine a Steelers fan before I even associate with a Patriots fan. <laughs> How do you feel about the New England Patriots?
2: Oh man, I just—I'm sorry, I don't—I don't share the same animosity as you guys do. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I think definitely, and for the players, it was definitely Pittsburgh, um, and and I don't really have any—I never really had interaction with Patriots fans, and it was just Pittsburgh fans because it seemed like they would just pop out of nowhere in in Baltimore. They'd have their bumper stickers, um, and they would have their towels. I never really remember seeing fans of other teams in
1: Baltimore. Well, uh, pa- the Patriots have. I, I feel like, I feel like it, it's, it's more of a thing with the fact that they're cheating pieces of shit. Baltimore got hosed really bad in a game against them the year the Patriots went undefeated in the ball, and the Ravens were fucking horrible that year. Um, that but was
2: the there best thought, that, that
1: game? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of Rex Ryan, a little bit of the refs, a little bit of Kyle Bowler being Kyle Bowler. And, you know, the Ravens not being a very good team at the time, but yeah. it was still a shitty, a shitty thing that happened. But it seems for some reason that over the years, and I, and I think it's ever since the Ravens beat the Patriots in the playoffs and, and what was that? Oh, nine, um, It seems like their fans spend more time fucking with Ravens fans than they do paying attention to their own football team. And I think that that's kind of what started this fan thing between Baltimore and New England that seems to really, really exist. And, you know, um, I've been to games in New England. I've been to games in Baltimore. And it seems like, for some reason, this this is just like a continuing thing. And it used to constantly be the Steelers. And maybe it was just because the Steelers fans were, were in that position at the time that were just doing that to Ravens fans. But it, it seemed to be like, you know, you get the, the, the back and forth you get with your friends of like, oh, yeah, we fucked you up, you lost, blah, 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 the stuff you get as a fan. But it was the opposite with Patriots fans. The Ravens rolled into their house beat the fuck out of them, ran all over the place on them. And then all of a sudden their fans start harassing Ravens fans and it never stops. Yeah. And and it seems to be that it start. It seems like a lot of, of fans in other areas seem to say the same thing about the Patriots fans. And I, I personally can't wait for them to fall back into irrelevance because let us not forget that they were one of the worst teams in football history for not just a season for long, long, long time. And, yeah. They will fall back into irrelevance at some point. But it, it seems to be a weird thing that it seems like maybe that's the fans' rivalry now and the Steelers is still the players' rivalry. Um, because, you know, you we don't the, – the Ravens don't get the chance to go back at, at – at you know, we get the, the chance twice a year to face Pittsburgh. And if if the fans are lucky, we get to see it a third time in the playoffs. With the Patriots, the fans get to see them once every four years. Uh, they're bitter about whatever happens. Ah, uh, you know you're probably going to get cheated when you play them, but I, I don't know. It seems it seems interesting because it seemed like when in 2012, especially when Baltimore went back into New England after avenging the whole uh, situation with the missed kick with Condiff, um, that it just it just seems like it was a different vibe at that point. It seemed like the torch kind of changed from Ravens fans and Steelers fans being so at each other's throats to Ravens and Patriots, which is a, kind of a strange thing, but it feels like that rivalry kind of has taken, took over what the Ravens and Steelers once were.
2: Um, yeah, I've never really heard it from the fans' perspective like that. The one thing I can say about the New England fans is that I was never impressed by them uh, playing there. The stadium was never that loud. Um, they just always kind of seem like, oh, yeah, we're the Patriots. We're spoiled. We're, we win all the time. Whereas exactly. it's... I could say bad things about the Pittsburgh fans, but they love that team. They love football. And you go to a game in Pittsburgh and you're just like, okay, they are really into this. Uh, these are real football fans. Whereas in New England, it kind of seemed like they're just kind of snooty and just like, oh, yeah, we're here because we have a good team and we have guys that dress up like real Patriots. And <laughs> <so I'm> never, <laughs> I was never really impressed by them. Um, but yeah, I can, I can see how, um, you had some people like that,
0: but. They're the closest thing to come out of uh, Britain, to be honest with you. So they are kind of snooty. They, they Honestly, a lot of those fans were like that prior to New England actually getting success and prior to getting Belichick and uh, Tom Brady. Uh, they yeah. were just like, oh, yes, it's sports are going on this weekend. And then they open up their cabinet, mm, 2018, good year. And then they just, uh, they're all snooty. I, I hear you on that one. But um, who do you think is the greatest of all time? Non-asterisks.
2: None? All-time? It's hard. Um, any position? At any position?
0: Yeah. Who are you partial to?
2: Probably Jerry Rice.
0: Jerry Rice. Mm.
2: The best player, I always say the best player that I ever played with, I think, was Ed Reed. And the reason why... I, this year. Yeah, and the, and the reason why I say Ed Reed because... Um who was you guys are um WWE fans. Um uh, what was the the Hitman heart, the best there is, the best there yeah, was. The best there, best there will
0: thing. be. Yeah.
2: And Ed Reed did things that we never saw before, we never saw during, and we haven't seen afterwards. Like some of the plays, like if you really break down like some of the defenses we're in and what his responsibility was and what everybody else's responsibilities were, and the interceptions that he made, I mean I remember Antony Seaver we watching, um, and I think it was like the Dolphins game when they played the Dolphins in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And Reed had like two interceptions that game. And we're just in the defense room. just We couldn't, we, we had to rewind it like a, th- a thousand times. Like, what what is he doing? How did he know? What, what is going on? I remember calling Fabian Washington because he was in Baltimore in 08. And I was like, what defense were you guys in? Like, what? why did he do that? And he just made plays like that that no other player you just you just weren't supposed to make. And it's unfortunate because I, I don't think we realize how injured he always was during the last like four years of his career. Um, but if you look at those first four or five years of Ed Reed, I mean it's just a completely different level. And from a defensive player, is that there's one thing you have a Ray Lewis or um, a Warren Sapp. Or even, you know, like a Revis at his prime, because Revis was the best corner that I seen. Um, If you're a quarterback, you had to take account of Ed Reed every play because it didn't matter what the play call was, he could be anywhere on the field. And that type of um, weapon and that type of pressure on a quarterback, I always say, I was like, he's the best defensive player that I ever played with, just player, period, that I ever played with. Um, Because I don't think we'll see a safety make plays like he did. I mean, probably one day, but it's going to be a long time, most likely.
0: If he didn't stop – We'll never see another Ed Reed. I agree. But if he didn't stop fucking laddering on that football, I was just going to get ready out (laughs) there and do something myself. Goodness. That guy was a lateraling machine. I mean, he was getting the interceptions. Great. But then he would lose the ball on a lateral. Nobody knew he was going to do the lateral. He was told not to do the lateral. And then he would do the damn lateral. Yeah.
2: But that's Ed Reed. You gotta take. You gotta take the
0: good with the bad, right? That's there. the truth. <laughs> and he's probably one of the greatest of all times. And do you think he's gonna get into the Hall of Fame this year? First ballot? Yeah, that's,
2: that's something. Somebody just lost their mind. I mean, it's not even close. I hate when people say Ronnie lot or something like that. I'm like, just stop. Like, no, Yeah,
1: no, he's the best, the best of all time.
2: Yeah. It's like, position. I'm a, I was a 49ers fan growing up as a kid. And so maybe that's why I'm partial to Jerry Rice. And that's why I say probably him. Cause you just look at year after year after year with his numbers. Um, yeah. So it's hard. It's hard. Um, you know, people, everybody's saying Tom Brady because of the championships, but I mean, you have Belichick there and that makes a big, big difference Belichick's not there Tom Brady's
1: not winning five Super Bowls Um, and deflated footballs and video cameras and anything that could could involve an asterisk yeah
0: we're not bitter on anything but uh.
2: (laughs) yeah they, they just keep winning
0: um, what do you miss most about uh, being in the game? What What do you miss about game day, about uh, being on the field? What What is what you wake up every morning and go, damn, I miss that?
2: No, I, I really, um, to tell the truth and to be really as truthful as possible. Like I, since I stopped playing, I haven't missed anything. But that's just been my personality. I've just never been a misser. Like when I went to Boise State, I hated my I just hate. I just hated it. I didn't really like the players. I didn't like my classes. I didn't like where I was living in the dorms. And everybody's like, oh, you don't like it? He's like, do you miss home? I was like, no. He's like, you don't miss home? You hated someone? I was like, no, it's just it's my life now. This is what I have to deal with. So that's always kind of been like my personality. Um, and so, and plus I've love what i do now i love going to law school i love being an attorney um i do sometimes like every now and then like talking to you guys i'll think about moments and it will put like a really like a smile satisfaction on my face like oh yeah that was cool i remember that moment i remember that moment in the locker room talking with the guys or hanging out with the guys that was really cool or sometimes like last week i see the guys um, um right before the games like oh i remember that moment like day of a playoff game and you know you're about to go in there and play that excitement and everything going in that's cool like those guys must be really happy type of thing um, but yeah as far as like um, missing having that feel like oh i need to do that again i feel like i kind of like got all that out of me and so i just when i do look back i just is just content and it's crazy now because i don't even like it's not even like i did anything it just seems like it was like a hundred years ago and i am just like i did that but doesn't even feel like I did. But, um, yeah, so it's a long-winded answer. But I do have a lot of dreams about football, though. It's like, it's back there in my subconscious. <laughs> no, okay. it used to, it's back there.
1: It's definitely back there. And it's all Baltimore, too. It's always Baltimore.
0: <laughs> it's so yeah. it should be. It's in all of our dreams.
1: Well, we'll get you, we'll get you this, this upcoming season, Chris. There is a new excitement in Baltimore with, with Lamar Jackson playing. And we won't go into all of that because it's also a huge controversy here, but, we will get you out to one of our tailgates one day because we want you to see it the way we see it. So the next time you're around, I know we've talked about it a bunch of times in the past, but the next time you're around and we can make it happen, come tailgate with CJ and I, we we have a really good time down there and, uh, and we'll hopefully we'll see you there and you can come enjoy it from our side one day.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I need to go out there. I haven't been to a game in two years in Baltimore, so it'll be nice to come out.
1: Yeah, it's a new, it's, it's uh. It is rejuvenated in in a very, very serious way in Baltimore. I don't know what it's gonna look like after the 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 loss of the Chargers. I mean me and CJ were at that game too. But uh, that stadium is is everything that has started to disappear from the spirit in the Baltimore fans is back. And uh, oh. So it is and it is it's loud, it's loud again fans are there, the stadium's full again. We stopped seeing a lot of that over the course of the past you know we'll say two seasons with the direction that the team has went. But now you know the, the division looks is looking better. The Browns are actually winning games now. yeah you know the, there is a new there is a new excitement in Baltimore. the fire is lit again. I cannot wait for next football season to see how the, how, how they do and see how the fans are, because that's why, that's why I like to go. I actually prefer watching the games at home, but I like being there because the excitement and the energy is back and it's, it's disappeared over the past couple of seasons, but it is definitely in full force again. And and I think it'd be great to have you come out with us.
2: Yeah, it'd be great. And it's good to hear that Baltimore is trying to continue that tradition because it has been a tradition of winning, you know, so.
0: It has been. And, uh, Chris, uh, don't want to hold too much more of your time, but I did want to touch on uh, what you're doing now in the uh, your post-NFL career. So you've taken a uh, kind of a unique turn here as far as your uh, cool. post-academia is concerned. Uh, not many people do this. A lot of people go to the media. A lot of people go coaching. Yeah. You're a, a lawyer now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, tell me, how did that all get started? And uh, first off, did you get your bachelor's degree when you were uh, still in college back uh, before you got drafted in the NFL? Did you get that?
2: Yeah, yes.
0: Um, And what was your major? Political science. Political science. Okay, relative to the uh, the law. So, what made you want to go back to school and get the MBA, and then start? Did you pass the bar yet, or where are you at with that?
2: Yeah. So I've been practicing for over a year now. So you can't practice unless you pass the bar. So I actually took the bar in california because one day we're probably going to move there um and i practice uh, mainly immig- just ma- i practice an immigration law firm and immigration 99 percent is all federal law so as long as you pass the bar in one um state you can practice uh immigration in any state but i took the california bar because in case i want to do any type of um you know criminal defense work or um, corporate law or any other type of law in California when we moved there, then I'll be able to do so without having to take the bar exam again. Um, but yeah, Boise, um, a Boise study I took a con law class. Our teacher was great. Um, he challenged us. He didn't, he, he didn't treat us like children. It was engaging. He really taught us to really look at both sides of an issue. And that was the one thing I knew. It's was like, this is just as enjoyable as football. Um, and so at that point I knew that when I was done playing, I was going to go to law school. Um, so there was never any type of doubt. It was just when, when I was going to go to law school. Um, so immediately when I was done in 2013 at uh, 2014, that year, I went and had all my stuff let ready. I already took the LSAT, um, I already had my letters of recommendation. I already wrote my statement. Yeah. And I came back out in the DC area because, um, living in Baltimore, I wanted to come out in this area. Um, still have friends like Chad living in Baltimore, and um, really wanted to be around the East Coast area because I wasn't ready to settle down in California yet. Um, yeah, so that's been the route. It's been good, and I I like new challenges. So I think that's why I kind of didn't wanna. I kind of wanted to stay away from sports when I was done because that sports was my whole life you know, since I was six years old. And I'm the type of person that likes new challenges, new things to explore and conquer and to do. Um, So it's, I couldn't ask for anything better.
0: And we couldn't ask to have a uh, better guest host, uh, guest this week, uh, and a guest host, of course. Thank you very much, Chad, and I appreciate that. (laughs) But um, you were the first uh, professional football player we've had come on the show. I don't know if you know this, but my podcast primarily has been geared towards actually interviewing fans of uh, different fan bases, like uh, the Vikings and the Cowboys, just to get a feel for their culture and whatnot. But I talked to Chad, and I. Didn't think I was ever going to have an opportunity again. So I figured get a uh, player on here and actually grill them about their career and see how far they went, what they're doing now. And I thought that would be a great opportunity. I really appreciate you coming on and even uh, giving us an opportunity to hear your story.
2: Yeah, thanks. It was fun. Um, it was good. It was good talks and uh, good chat. And um, it is cool to see, like, from the fans' perspective and from Patriots fans compared to. Um, Pittsburgh fans uh, Wait, wait,
1: wait Let's let's keep this Let's keep this in perspective Fuck them both It's uh, not ever going to change Fuck yeah. the Steelers And fuck the Patriots Fuck them both And fuck Freddy Kitchens too What? Yeah. Freddy goddamn Kitchens
2: What? Freddy Kitchens That's the best name <laughs> <laughs> Coach of the year Freddy Was it Frederick Kitchens? <laughs> Probably I, I didn't Kitchens.
0: look it up You know what? I'm going to look that shit up right now Mr. Kitchens Alright
1: He should be a chef Right? No, fuck that. I don't want that guy tainting my industry. He's a Cleveland Brown.
0: <laughs> no, apparently his real name is Freddie. I'll be damned. <laughs> yeah, that's a one hell of a name. But anyway, guys, I really appreciate you coming on board this week and uh, doing the show with me, uh, Chris. If you don't mind, in the future, I'd like to do a part two with you at some point.
2: Oh yeah, that was fun. That was real fun.
1: Awesome. Well, maybe maybe we'll talk talk some. Maybe we'll talk some wrestling next
2: time, yeah, we'll talk some wrestling we talk got the UFC. breath to hit that hard on here, you know we got
0: yeah, yeah I love that reference i am I'm a big fan of uh the best there is the best there was best there ever will be yeah. so great. um thank you guys for coming on i'll uh I'll disconnect the call now and uh, I'll talk to y'all later. All right. It's not often that you get a chance to interview a former. NFL player and current lawyer so I gotta tell you I'm very happy with the opportunity that I had today to to, uh, get chef Chad Wells on here to uh, talk with Chris Carr and uh, really appreciate both of their times today and had a great interview with them and I hope that you all enjoyed it too. I think next week I'm going to try to get Sean Alvashire back on the show to talk more about uh, Cap's situation, about the Dolphins, about his uh, love for the Saints, and we'll uh, we'll see what we can do from there. There's no promises on that. It's all going to depend on the schedule. I'll uh, try to do what I can to get him on the show. If not, I'm sure I can get uh, – at pftp and posse and at the real forno to come back on and we can try to bullshit you guys for another hour so we always have a good time talking to you guys and we like to bring up what's going on in the nfl so um until then until next week i really appreciate you guys continuing to listen subscribe like Share with your friends. Give us a review. More importantly, give us the review so that we know what we're doing. Uh, let us know if there's anything we could do to improve on the show. We're always listening. So uh, thank you very much, and until next week, y'all stay classy.